Welcome to Five Star Autopsy, where we examine the cause of death for the greatest creative runs in pop culture history. And this episode on the slab, Go Team Venture, The Venture Brothers. I've long said that uh, The Venture Brothers is my favorite thing that is still currently being made. <laughs> and now I don't know if I can say that because The Venture Brothers, after seven seasons and 20 years, which is just shocking that it's been on for 20 years, um, the show has been canceled, yet um, I believe it's confirmed and it's in the process of being made, they're making a TV movie for HBO Max, which will be the finale of the entire series. Which is good, because I I, uh, I need some closure. Um, and we'll get to it when we, we near the end here, but um, I hope it I hope it works, because um, I feel like there's still so many loose ends that I would need another season to r- truly feel like I, I got everything I wanted. But we'll see. I mean, these guys know what they're doing. So this is cool. This is going to be an anomaly for um, this podcast. Because we're talking about TV, and I've been trying to think about because we, we talk about all kinds of pop culture, right? We talked about movies and comic books and music. Um, I was trying to figure out how how to do TV, and the problem with TV is, um, you know, much like movies, they're a big collaborative effort. Well, with TV, even more so, and there's you know, since there's so many episodes, it's hard to say who is the true author of a show. You can say a showrunner, but most showrunners don't direct um, all the episodes. They don't um, write every episode. And some of them do a little bit of each of them. But it's, you know, it's still it's a bit of a stretch, right? The Venture Brothers, what's great about it is not only is it my, or at least it was my favorite thing currently still being made. Each episode has been written by either Jackson Public or Doc Hammer, with the exception of three episodes written by their friend Ben Edlin of the Tick fame, which have been sprinkled throughout the seven uh, seasons. So basically you have these two guys who are the creators of the show. They um, write nearly every episode. They also voice most of the characters. They design most of the characters. Um, it's This is, a, this is very much um, a DIY um, show at least as much as a, as a, a, a network cartoon can be. Um, so th- this show is perfect, and this is like the only thing I could honestly think of of TV that um, I knew enough about and that also it kind of had an easy uh, in for who's the creator. Let's talk about their run. So let's, we're going to talk about Jackson Public and Doc Hammer's uh, seven-season run on Venture Brothers, right? So... I was I knew the show had been out for a long time. I've been watching it for a long time. And and you know, you're going to say 20 years, 7 seasons. Well, yeah, that's that's the downside of it being, you know, fully um auteur created by these two guys. They're just two guys, so it takes a while. It takes a while for them to, to you know, keep this going. So I was um shocked when I looked up I was like, "When did it start?" And and the pilot was on two, 2003, which is like, "Holy shit." 2003. I wasn't there for the pilot. Um, my memory is like, uh, we'll take it back. So I used to, for a few months, I would uh, busk on in downtown Tucson on the on the street, play guitar, try to make some extra bucks. I um, was doing it because I wanted to do it, but also there was a brief period, at least for a month, where like. Um, I was working at Blockbuster Video, and I, 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 um, my girlfriend and me had broken up, and she had moved out, and so I was paying rent on my own, and I just needed some extra cash for for gas and you know what what have you, and you know the busking sometimes it wasn't it wasn't a great success. I will say I made some money obviously, but uh, so, you know a lot of times that money goes eaten up by the gas I I, I needed for the car to get to downtown Tucson, so it wasn't great. But what was cool was I um. I got friendlier with a guy who I already knew named Joel, Joel Skoda, and Joel was also busking. A lot of times we play like the same street, or he'd be across the street or down the way, and so, you know, um, I'm in my early twenties. It's uh, it's you know, I do this on the weekends a lot of times, and end of the Saturday night, you know, bars get at two a.m. I'll be doing it till two a.m. Um, me and Joel and his girlfriend Mallory, we all go back to Joel's place because they live downtown. And we watch Adult Swim. And, 
you know, very, I, I'm pretty sure after watching the first episode, I saw Adventure Brothers, which I had kind of heard of. I saw commercials of or something. I was in. I was just so taken. I was like, vampire bites my neck. I am one of you. I I, I, I couldn't. I, I was just, there's so many, I, it was so much fun, but I had so many questions, so mysterious. And of course, the first episode I watched was actually the finale of season two. So not only is the finale of a season, it was the end of a two-parter called Showdown at Cremation Creek. And so this episode alone, there was like Iggy Pop, and it wasn't an analog, it was like, I think they did everything but call him Iggy Pop, but there was also David Bowie, call himself David Bowie, who was actually the evil sovereign who ran the Guild of Calamus Intent, which is like this supervillain um, organization. And there was, there was, there was that, and then there's of course the Johnny Quest-esque um, characters and all these superhero like analogs and spoofs. It was just so much at once. And so I, I quickly started watching on TV with Joel and, and Mallory like more and more episodes and kind of filling in all the blanks. And um, I think when I watched that, that was airing in real time. So I, I think that was... Um, if not, it was like season three is going on. They're showing some reruns, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, I think because uh, season two would be 2006, and that sounds sounds exactly right. So anyways, that was my intro, and so I quickly soon got DVDs and started going back and, and buying the show, and, and I realized pretty soon, unlike a lot of other Adult Swim shows, which there, there are tons of awesome shows there, especially in that era, um, Venture Brothers is very continuity heavy. It wasn't like every episode just restarted and you didn't have to watch the one before to really get it. There's all these storylines, all these plot lines that kept on going and there's all these callbacks to stuff that happened in previous episodes. And I was really impressed with how a comedy show could have such a dense uh, plot heavy um, uh, element to it. And I've said this a lot to my to people I talk to about the show. Um, even if the show wasn't hilarious, which it is, I think I would still just watch it because I want to know what's happening next. I want to know the secret secrets, you know, uh, revelations. I want. I just want to know what's going to go on. There's so much going on with these characters. It's so big. So, um, if you don't know, um, this show's been out for 20 years. Um, I'm going to talk about tons of spoilers. So, if you've never seen Venture Brothers, um, you know, I think you should check it out. Especially if you, if you like anything to do with comic books or superheroes, Johnny Quest, or just... Um, P.T. Anderson or Wes Anderson movies, and I don't know. I, I think there's something for everybody. But um, just this is a warning. If you if you don't want to get spoiled on, on stuff, stop listening now. Um, to my other three listeners, <laughs> please continue on this journey with me. We're going to go through some Venture Brothers stuff. So the Venture Brothers run, um, I think it begins with season one. I actually think season one is a powerful prototype type of entry. Um Season one, even when I watched season two, I when I saw season one episodes, I could tell the animation was much raw, um, less refined, and even you know it's like the Simpsons thing. The voice, the voices had changed already by season two, and when we get to season three, they change again, and it's it, it gets even more. Um, it, it gets better, honestly. It, I, I think um, that's a big part of it. Also, season one is uh, story wise, they haven't found their footing just yet. Yet, despite all that. It's still really, really fun. It's really uh, interesting, and there's, they're laying the groundwork that they're going to explore later on. There's, so season one, um, the, only, the only part, like, it's funny, the only part of season one, which is not really part of season one, I, I want to include is maybe the pilot. The pilot is actually so raw and so different from the rest of the show, it, it doesn't feel like it's of a piece. It feels like the South Park pilot or something, where it's just like, oh, this like they did this with no money and they didn't really they they weren't really planning on uh what will come next so pilot maybe i would exclude from this but everything else totally in including the christmas special which is funny as hell with and um what you see about season one is what what you learn is basically the show is called the venture brothers right the venture brothers themselves are the teen brothers hank and dean whose father, Rusty Venture, Dr. Venture, is a super scientist, and they are sort of Johnny Quest kind of uh, type kids who um, tag along with Doc Venture and his uh, bodyguard, Brock Sampson, on their globe-trotting super science action adventures, right? But despite the show being called The Venture Brothers, um, for the, at least the initial uh, first half of the, sh- of the, of the show's uh, run... The Venture Brothers themselves are sort of like um, just side characters, and they're barely characters in season one. They're just kind of jokes. They're um, you find out that the, these kids have been um, 
raised by these uh, scientific high-tech beds, which um, they're learning beds. So they basically, as they sleep, they get fed information. They've never been to school. They have no other other friends. They hang out with their, their scientist dad who, honestly, seems like he can't stand them at all. They're really dorky. They use old-fashioned uh, language and slang. They're just... And they just seem they they're just there to kind of be like these weird retro kids like uh, Hank wears a, a neckerchief so he looks a little bit like Fred from Scooby Doo, um, they're just these really out of touch dorks and they're barely like real people and that and that's fun for season one it's but it changes a lot and that's what I think kept the show um kept me watching the show kept the show feeling fresh is that the show um grows a lot with everything not just the look of it not and uh, the writing changes but the characters themselves very much grow up and of course it's 20 years right the show's not done in real time it's only been i think like four years in the show's time or maybe five tops but um everyone continues to grow including the venture brothers themselves but from season one the focal point is doc venture himself rusty venture and so you find out He's a super scientist, and his kids go up with him on journeys. Well, he's just like his dad. His dad was Jonas Venture, and his dad was a huge um, super scientist, superhero guy who um, was, like, dashing, good-looking, super smart, really tough. Um, he seemed like he always had the right answer, and he took his son, Rusty, with him on adventures. And then Rusty Venture himself um, was sort of a celebrity because they made a cartoon based on his real life, which is the Rusty Venture show, which is very much Johnny Quest. But... Jonas Venture, uh, grandpa to the Venture Brothers, he died mysteriously, and Rusty has been living in his shadow ever since. So now he's a, a bald, pill-popping, uh, basically, he's not even a has-been, because he, he basically has lived in his dad's shadow. He's never really done much himself, but he's inherited all this money. He's kind of a scientist. He, he, as the show goes on, you find out he's not really good at science either. He And he's just like a, a bitter-ass curmudgeon, but he's really, really... Um, He's really compelling, and so he's sort of, for me, he very much fits in that mold of, um, he's like the Wes Anderson uh, type of these uh, these burned out kind of, uh, uh, like Royal Temas, he's a burnout person who grew up and has uh, become more and more dysfunctional as time goes on, and he he basically once had glory. He had he has some glory, which was he is he's a kid, but he's totally resentful. His father wasn't a good dad, um, and he's been he was forced into this life, and so he doesn't know what else to do. And he's repeating the same mistakes with his own kids, and so despite you know that all sounds pretty heavy, and it it is. Um, but the show is mostly, especially the season one, mostly funny jokes, kind of making fun of Johnny Quest and and celebrating superhero stuff and all kinds of fun stuff. And um, the other focal point in season one is really Brock Sampson, his bodyguard. Brock Sampson, a uh, voice with Patrick Warburton of the Seinfeld, of the Seinfeld, <laughs> and a few other things. Um, he, Brock Sampson is this larger than life, badass um, Swedish murder machine is what they call him. He's just this big guy, this big guy with a blonde mullet who, um, He's ultimate badass, but he's also really funny. And Patrick Warburton's got amazing comic timing. And season one, he's he's stuck in this job. So you basically like the, the creators of the show, Doc Hammer and Jackson Public. Um, you talk about the show is about failure. Like it's a concentrated effort to talk about failure. And so even this guy, Brock Sampson, who is a uh, he's great at his job. He's an incredible um, fighter and bodyguard and all this stuff. He is wasting his potential guarding this family of of nobodies even though they they are super scientist family and they have you know they have villains after him all this stuff he's he, he's not doing what he wants to do and you can tell he's 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 stuck in a fucking dead end right just like everybody else despite being uh, incredibly capable and the flip side of 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 the show is um the villain the monarch is um this butterfly themed villain who's been trying to who who has a total hatred of Dr. Venture, of Rusty, and he's been trying to kill him, stop him, thwart him, uh, seems like forever, and you come to the show, and you see that the Monarch, um, the Monarch has a, has a team of henchmen, right, and um, he also has his uh, assistant, uh, his partner, Dr. Girlfriend, and Dr. Girlfriend is I, I love the Monarch, and I love, every, I love all the characters, but Dr. Girlfriend is a standout, 
Dr. Girlfriend starts out very kind of a, not even one note exactly, but um, a low note. Um, but not too fleshed out, but she starts out as, the joke is that she's this beautiful uh, woman dressed like kind of like a Jackie O with a pillbox hat and a pink suit. Her name is Dr. Girlfriend. Um, her voice is, it sounds like a man's voice. It's very low. It's very gravelly. It's, I, Doc Hammer does a voice. And so the joke is, oh, she sounds like a dude, but she's really hot. And of course, as the show goes on, there are characters who comment on it, but eventually it kind of fades away. And like, you don't even, I, I don't even like think about her voice and they kind of stop emphasizing that it's funny. It's just like, that's just how she sounds. She sounds, she has this low voice, whatever. Um, What's cool about Dr. Girlfriend, even for season one, you see it. She's the number two for, for the monarch, right? She is the brains behind the operation. The monarch, much like Dr. Venture, is very inept. He has no idea what he's doing. What he does have is passion. He's, his passion is, is his hatred towards Dr. Venture, which we don't know why. But he has no idea how to to govern, how to get things in motion. Dr. Girlfriend does. And so she... Um, is dating the monarch, that's why she's Dr. Girlfriend, and she loves the monarch, so she's willing to, much like Brock Sampson, she's going to use all her her um, abilities, which could be used much better serving herself or whatever she wanted to do. She's wasting them, basically, on this guy, the monarch, because she loves him. Brock does it, I think, he, you know, obviously, in season one, it's already there. He does love this family. He's, he's grown up with these boys, especially, even though they're kind of weird, not real people in season one it feels like he cares for them so maybe it's love for him too but it's also a sense of duty and who knows he's a little lost in season one but that these these are some of the main characters and you also get to meet um the monarchs kind of they're not his number one henchmen uh all his henchmen are numbered and this is uh henchmen uh 21 and 24 they are simply the ones that get the most airtime and they're these a really funny comedy duo one sounds like uh, Ray Romano, and the other one has this really like high-pitched kind of uh, Boston accent thing going. But they're just these two goofball henchmen who are not good at the job at all, and they mostly spend the time of uh, every battle just hiding so they don't get killed. And they have, a, they have this funny observations, and you're not sure what their uh, their story is. But you get to see season one kind of opens up this world where you have super scientists and superheroes, right, and you have super villains. They are all part of different organizations, which sort of, um, they make, there are, there are certain rules about the way they fight, right? And so they call what the bad guys do arching. And you, um, you're allowed to kill people and stuff like that, but you have to do it a certain way, or, or it's against the rules, and then, and you might get in some sort of, like, uh, legal entanglements or, or whatever. So it's, it's really crazy. So you find out there's this organization called OSI, and then there's the Guild of Calamitous Intent. So OSI is good guys, the Guild of the Bad Guys. And there's all this bureaucracy, all this crazy bullshit, and it, so it's almost like they're sort of just playing when they're trying to kill each other. But they they are trying to kill each other, but there are rules. Like if I was fighting you and um, you know, you had a gun to my head, but then I was like, wait, wait, wait. Um, I actually um, you know, uh, I have like a dental appointment. I forgot to tell you. I can we reschedule this? Um, there's somehow there's there are loopholes you can use to you would have to stop. You couldn't kill me, or you lose your guild license. It's it's really insane, but it's really fun. Season one kind of sets that up, and there's uh, an episode called Tag Sale You're It, and in Tag Sale You're It, um, Dr. Venture is having a, an actual, like, yard sale of all his super scientist crazy st- st- uh, stuff, and you see, like, all these different villains who come out, and all these other scientists, and you see, like, the breadth of, like, how how much potential this world has, and how much how much fun these uh, creators are going to have, like, just kind of uh, riffing on superheroes, and so I mentioned earlier that... Uh, Ben Edlund, who was the creator of The Tick, he, um, I believe Jackson Public worked on The Tick, and I think Doc Hammer was just friends with Ben Edlund or worked on some other project. But basically, Ben Edlund is actually the guy who kind of, who, um, who introduced these two to each other, Doc Hammer and Jackson Public. And so Ben Edlund and The Tick is, in a lot of ways, like, you can see, like, they, they took out some of his ideas, like, you know, people have been doing, doing spooks with superheroes for a long time, but, um... They took sort of like his, like, we're going to make fun of a lot of this, these tropes, but we're also going to do it in a very loving way. You tell it we love these kids. We love superheroes. And so they took that, I think, like a spiritual like guidance from him. And so he, of course, helps write, like I said, throughout the seven seasons, he's written three episodes. And I think one of them is actually co-written, co-written with Doc Hammer. So two and a half episodes. But I, I feel like if I continue to try to uh, explain what the show is, 
it's going to be a five hour long episode here. So I'm going to try to just kind of go over the seasons and why they're, why they're good or bad. So season one, powerful prototype, a good start to the show. It's definitely uh, embryotic compared to the rest of the seasons, but there's enough there that I think it, it begins this run in earnest. It's also, if you're a Brock Simpson fan, this might be the best Brock season. He's featured heavily and Kind of the raw style animation really helps for the violent sequences with him. It helps it um, seem more kinetic in, in some ways. But that's, that your mileage may vary, right? So season one, good start, right? Season two. Now, this is this is where the show kind of starts becoming what it's going to be from, from now on. Despite the fact that it changes a lot. But season two is a big step up animation-wise, story-wise. It's, sort of, it's starting to become... Um, more more continuity um, heavy and you're getting you're getting rewarded for following the continuity a lot better so what season, season two starts out with um, and season one the the venture brothers get killed they get they get shot by um, by henchmen 21 and 24 and so they're dead right season two reveals that they're these boys have been cloned many a time that they live a very dangerous life and unbeknownst to them, uh, they get cloned every once in a while when they die by their dad. And so we start with that. And this is the very beginning of the the, the boys actually starting to become people. So season two, you sort of you understand, okay, so since they've been killed so many times, that kind of explains why they're so stunted in, in some ways. Because they've actually been sort of stuck being uh, 16 years old for uh, three years. And this is also kind of explains why their dad is so sort of remote emotionally to them, and and because he 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 keeps cloning them because he does care for them, but he also kind of feels like maybe these these aren't exactly his sons. He or he he just feels he's probably emotionally guarded from the fact that he he knows he has to clone his kids because they keep getting killed, mostly because it's his fault. So. It starts with that, right? We, we also have a deeper um, understanding of the monarch and Dr. Girlfriend. This That's kind of the through line for this season, is that their love and um, what's going to happen. So, like, season two, um, you know, the monarch loses Dr. Girlfriend, and then he meets Phantom Lim, who's one of my favorite fucking characters. Phantom Lim, he's just a great character. He could be, he could just be a superhero character in a, in a, a normal Marvel book or something, and I would love him. You don't have to make him a joke. He's, he's a great power set, great name. Um, but anyways... Doctor Monarch is trying to get Doctor Girlfriend back from Phantom Limb. That's like the most of the season is, is about that. Um, there's, there's so many good episodes. Twenty Years of Midnight with um, the Ignore Me Galactic uh, Inquisitor thing. So good. Um, there, there's one of the best titles ever, which is a uh, Escape from the House of Mummies. Actually, wait, that might be season three. No, think about it. It's Escape to the House of Mummies Part Two, which there is no Part One, which is great. There's that. There's um, good episodes with. Um, Molotov cocktees and it, there's just so many cool moments and you, and you also get like a bigger the monarch escapes from jail you see other supervillains and you see like the monarchs kind of um where where he um where he where he sits with the rest of the supervillain world you know and the show this this season ends with this amazing two-parter called uh uh what's it called <laughs> showdown at cremation creek uh this two-part is the first episode i saw you get so much. You have it's a huge wedding episode. You have uh, the monarch marries Doctor Girlfriend. Of course, Phantom Lim crashes the party. He has Doc as his best man. The boys are there. Um, you have <laughs> David Bowie is revealed to be the the head of the evil organization, the Guild of Calamus Intent. It's it's phenomenal. It's a big epic episode, and it, it's funny. That's the first one I watched. But even though knowing that the show, it doesn't normally go that big. It was cool to know that it could, and it, it could do it well. So, season two, I think, is a fiery follow-up to season one. This is the show um, building, improving, but it's still not quite the like the the um, the changeling that the show will become very soon after. So we're follow, following that with season three, and so season three, let's see our timeline here. I think there's a couple years between all these, right? So two thousand. 2004 is season one. Season yeah, so there's there's a two year gap. Then there's season two. Then there's another two year gap. 2008, and that's when we have season three. 
season three is um i i think this is the show taking a giant leap forward kind of like uh the leap that Wes Anderson made from uh, Rushmore to Royal Tenenbaums. Maybe not as overt, but like everything gets refined more, everything looks better. And season three is really heavy with flashback episodes, where basically a lot of episodes are showing you these characters and, and showing you how they got to the point where we met them. So you have um, the beginning, first episode, after um, the monarch marries Dr. Girlfriend, you have the, how did they meet? How did how did the, the monarch become the monarch? And you had this whole great episode. Um, then you have The Doctor of Sin, one of my favorite episodes. This one is where um, Dr. Henry Killinger, it's just funny to say that. He's, de- he's basically Kissinger, but he's a supervillain guy um, in his magical murder bag. He kind of Mary Poppins in, in, and he's already trying to, he's already helped the monarch and Dr. Girlfriend. But now on the flip side, he's trying to help Rusty Venture um, realize who he truly is and become the best he is. And what he basically proposes to, to Dr. Venture is that Dr. Venture should be a villain. He, he has all the hallmarks of a villain, and it makes a lot of sense. Rusty, of course, at the very end, he he says no. I, you know, maybe I'm not a great person, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a bad guy. But he's kind of has a question mark, and the show is kind of asking that too. So there's that's one of my favorite episodes. But the whole the whole season's full of these, right? You have the back, you have the um, <laughs> the the backstory of of. Of Billy and, and Pete White, and so that you have this whole quiz show thing, which is very Pete, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Magnolia, and that also shows you like there's a character named Hunter Gathers, who's ba- basically Hunter S. Thompson, who helps uh, Brock uh, run OSI, or he, he runs missions for Brock, and so you have their backstory, how Brock came to be. It's it's this whole season is almost all just building like how do we get here but it ends with a real big move forward with this um sort of loose trilogy of the orb and the orb this this when this first came out i was so transfixed by this this three-parter because the orb is this um you know spoiler alert an orb but this orb sort of represents um it's almost like zeitgeist distilled into an object so you reveal that um, before even uh dr venture's uh, father jonas venture there's another venture another descendant who are another ancestor rather, who um, created this orb thing and, and he's been passing around and like people like Mark Twain and like uh, uh, Alistair Crowley and all these other important people in history, good or bad or artist or whatever, have shared something with the orb and, and made the orb even more more of what it is. And it's really vague, but it's, it's very cool. It's a very deep cut. So there's this whole hunt for this object of the orb. And it basically shows uh, Brock Sampson having to, f- to make a choice between his family, or his 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 family he's made with the ventures, and then his uh, he's put his OSI career on hold, and he um. It's sort of this episode. These episodes sort of show that the OSI is is corrupt, and Brock doesn't trust them either. And he kind of uh, at the end of the end of the the season, um. There's this great sequence where Brock plays everybody against each other. He plays. OSI against the Guild of Calamity's intent and against the Monarch, and it culminates in this huge battle where um, Rusty has to. Uh, he, he's never revealed to the boys that they're clones, right? But he tells he wants to employ the clones of his sons into a battle just to use as stooges, to, just to 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 battle these two different warring armies on his lawn, and he um he basically gets all the clones. They all get killed, and his clone tanks get destroyed, and so basically, he calls them slugs. He's he's out of slugs, and so what this does with the show, it says, there's no longer the safety blanket. The boys, if they die, we just clone them, and that's gone. That's off the table, and that means so that that little thing for the writers is gone, but it also means for for Rusty, these boys are my only boys, and he pretty soon after starts really um, he starts thawing, and he starts. Uh, being, you know, he's still a real big fuck up. He's very dysfunctional, but he starts warming to the the kids a lot more than he did in the first few seasons. And the kids, conversely, um, these two throughout the season they they start developing into into more personalities, and, and that's going to continue. And that and that really changes the whole trajectory of the show. So this this episode, it's sort of like um, Doc Hammer and uh and Jackson Public just kind of clearing the table and um challenging themselves by taking a lot of things off the table so not only are the clones gone they kill 
uh, henchman uh, twenty four, and and that's huge because up until now, him and twenty one are this great comedy duo. He's gone, right? Brock Sampson quits. He quits. Not, he quits being the Ventures bodyguard. He just disappears, and there's a cliffhanger. Where he's gone, and you're not sure is that is that permanent? And it basically is until it isn't. So season three, huge wipe. And it's like we're gonna we're gonna come back with a sort of a new show, and that new show comes back in a, a two a two part season, season four, which is a. a, a very uh it's a curveball it's a very experimental season and i think it's the masterpiece i think this is the best season of the show and it's kind of insane to say that because it's such a different show from then on but and it continues to change isn't it doesn't like um set a template that the show becomes from then on but it sort of opens up that the show's going to keep changing like the characters are going to change and develop and um, it's no longer going to be the Brock in, uh, in Doc's show. And I don't, I think most fans, I think there's a cult audience for this whole show, but I, I think some fans were turned off that Brock took a backseat big time in season four and maybe turned off that the, the Venture Brothers themselves actually kind of emerged as, if not the main characters of their show finally, um, at least co main characters with Rusty. But um, I think most of the diehard fans, they they really took to this um, new show and it, it um it, it's just a testament to like the writing and on the show that they um it's it's such a a gambit just a such a a gamble to to um to to go hey we're gonna take away maybe um everyone's favorite stuff at least for a little bit and show you that there's a lot of cool stuff we could do that we haven't shown you before or we can um make you care about characters which maybe were just kind of periphery characters in, in the past so season four opens with one of the best episodes ever one of the most challenging one of the most ambitious episodes blood of the father heart of steel this whole episode is told um it's non-linear and there's um there's this weird sort of like uh marker of numbers that appear uh, at different parts of the episode and the numbers keep going going down and you eventually realize that this is um <laughs> this is this the the um the comic book uh, price guide uh, value of a, a marvel comics number one which is a, a i guess a very important part of the storyline and that is sort of like yeah as the value goes down as the issue the, the comic book issue gets more and more uh, degraded that's your marker of what what where we are in the timeline of the episode that doesn't fucking matter. That, that, that framing stuff is really cool and really fun, but the episode itself, it shows you that Brock quits. What happens to Brock? Brock, Brock quits. He um, he kind of loses his way. He gains a bunch of weight. He um, has to get a robot removed from his chest. He, um, he eventually kind of figures out who he wants to be, and, he, um, and while that's happening, the boys are now, their new bodyguard is... Uh, <laughs> Colonel Hate, Sergeant Hatred, sorry, Sergeant Hatred, who's a very um, interesting character in the in history of the show, and you have that, and you have this whole subplot of Doc, uh, these guys who are clearly Nazis, but Doc is not savvy enough to understand they are Nazis, who are trying to get Doc to clone a uh, baby Hitler for them, and he eventually realizes it, and he doesn't want to work, work with them, and he stops it, even though I think the clone of uh, the the soul of Hitler is stuck in a dog, which has to be sacrificed. It's a lot for <laughs> for one episode of a show, any show, but it all works. It all lands. You have uh, Hank and Dean Venture as kids and characters starting to diverge and become more and more um, more and more uh, identifiable as they. As who they are and different from one another, but um, it, it all feels it doesn't feel like a, a it feels natural. It feels like they're organically growing in, into whoever they're gonna be. This sh- sets it up right. It also sets up that especially for season four, Brock will be in and out of the show. He will still be doing stuff. He'll still have some Brock centered uh, central episodes, but he won't be the bodyguard, so he won't always be there. And so the dynamic shifts to Sergeant Hatred. Sergeant Hatred is a uh, controversial character in a lot of ways so he's set up in season two as a villain who um there are a couple like jokes or just mess uh mentions that he's uh he might be into little boys like he might be a pedophile um it's never said that he actually acts on him per se but there's definitely those um undertones and then eventually become overtones like yeah he he uh, he says that he's a reformed i don't know if he says pedophile honestly but he does he basically says that he had these urges which he knows were wrong and so he's 
he um he's found a way to he quits drinking and he uh he quits uh I guess in he, he basically has he's found a woman he loves and he's trying to reform himself. It's it the show never straight up says he's actually acted on this or not, but he's definitely got some uh, fucked up tendencies towards child abuse, and it, it's pretty heavy stuff, especially for a comedic show, you know. And of course, him becoming the new bodyguard—it's very questionable. The show kind of it, it, it's I wouldn't say it dances with this, but it, de- it definitely says like. We set this up probably as a joke that he was like this, you know, molester, supervillain. And now we have to kind of live with what we said. So they never say he actually acts on it. So if you wanted this go, he's got he's got a problem. He's dealing with it. And you could kind of accept the character or or if not, which is totally legit. You know, you can never watch the show again or hate the show or hate this character. And I think they have lost people because of this character. But um, he's also beyond that. He's he's kind of the opposite Brock in that he's, um, he's really enthusiastic. He wants, to, he likes, Brock's sort of like moody and didn't want to do things. He does them and he does them well. He defends people. He, he's, he's involved in adventures, but he's not really uh gung ho. Uh, Sergeant v- Hatred is, uh, the opposite. He's not really adept at anything, but he's super gung ho. He really is. He's, he's loving it. Right. So he's a former villain who's now a bodyguard. He actually takes, uh, some sort of pill from the OSI government, uh, I think it's called no molestal, which, you know, that's the joke, but he takes it to, to combat his urges or whatever. And they don't, they don't like just drop that, um, that part of the character. It's talked about. It's, it's sort of like an addiction. He has to fight constantly. It's fucking weird though. Right. It's, it's always been like, uh, it, I, I think the show does, does okay with it, but it's, it's still like, I don't know why we're doing this, but, um, that being said, the rest of the season um, it, it, with hatred, it's it's really cool to see um, everyone gets kind of different, right? Everyone's because they have a new character to bounce off of. Everyone changes, right? So Hank is becoming Hank Venture is becoming more. Uh, he sort of wants to be Brock Junior. in this at this point, right? And Dean Dean does not know what he wants. He does not want to be his dad. Um, there's this great episode called Perchance to Dean, and Perchance to Dean, besides having a great title, is this sort of. Um, uh, Doc Venture recognizes that of his two kids, Dean's the smarter one. Dean's has the most potential to be a scientist, and so he's he's basically forcing him into becoming uh, a super scientist. And part of it, he gives him a bunch of prog rock records as inspiration. There's these amazing like prog rock uh, sort of uh, psychedelic sequences throughout the episode. It's great, and there's also this um, Quasimodo esque. Um, sort of a, a he's a clone of Dean who who's lived but he's malformed and he's been um wearing the skin of all the dead clones which are in their backyard buried which is super dark and this is also so this is the first start of this this ongoing story where Dean is starting to kind of put the pieces together that maybe him and his brother are clones which is you know be, becomes a bigger thing so throughout the season we have um Great stuff. Family comes back for the Revenge Society, which is a great episode. Self medication is this uh, this uh, therapy uh, support group for our boy former boy adventurers. So you have Action Johnny, who's a Johnny Quest guy, who's been in a few episodes. You have uh, Lance and Dale Hale, who are sort of like um, the Hardy Boys, and you have Robo Boy, who's like Mega Man meets Astro Boy or whatever, and Wonder Boy, who's another sidekick, and and of course Rusty Venture. And there's this great they have they go to therapy together, and it's it's amazing so two-part seasons big season right um some of the best stuff the show's ever done is in the season uh there's a great one it's called everyone everybody comes to hank's and where it's hank uh hank starts pretending to be a gumshoe detective and the, the episode's done in black and white mostly and he uncovers even more terrible secrets about his family and his dad and <laughs> and it's 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 great and there's I, I i can't say enough good things and the season is throughout it's solid right it's it's a great season it ends with i will say i think the best episode of the show this show this season ends with operation prom this is the end of season four and this was done basically the guys the creators while they're making the show making this episode they kind of thought this might be the end of the series they were they weren't sure they weren't sure if they're going to be picked up again you know so it is in a way, this is the series uh, finale in case it actually, in case the show got canceled. And it, it acts like it. You have everybody gets brought back. It's the boys have a prom, sort of. They're raised in, you know, they didn't go to school. They went to these like weird uh, high tech uh, learning beds. But you have everybody come back. Everybody has a big growth. Um, 
Brock's involved, of course. You have some of the best Brock stuff in the show. You have you have this runny joke about a rusty venture, which is a sexual maneuver named after Doc's uh, Doc as a, a childhood adventure and also as a, a cartoon sensation. Um, you have the the show. Um, the episode ends with the the song. Uh, uh, so was it, it's by oh my god, it's by Pulp. It's um. It's not like somebody's friend. Oh my god, I feel bad. I forgot the show, the song. I love the song. Um, it it, it ends with this pulp song. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'll I'll figure it out eventually. It's, it's it's like a friend or something like that. But anyways, um, it's perfectly uh inserted into the episode and it rises and falls with the action that you see. Um, I'm gonna look this up because it's gonna kill me. I don't remember this. Yeah, like a friend. I was right. Like pulp. It's a, yeah, okay. Um but the, the episode it just kind of it it does that thing where it sort of wraps things up in a way, emotionally at least. It also opens the door to a lot of things. You have the boys they they graduate, right? You have them um you have Dean finally uh Dean finally cuts loose and says fuck you to somebody. He, he he's always been like the good boy and he finally says fuck you. I mean you know, he, he he tells um, Triana, his neighbor, who he has a crush on, her stepdad, fuck you, when he's trying to patronize Dean. You know, um, it's 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 really good. It, it if the show ended here, I, I mean, I love a lot of the show afterwards, but um, it w- it would be a great fitting ending. But luckily, the show does not end here. Um, so even though it would have been great to go out in a blaze of glory, um, the glory continues. The run continues. So season five comes in, and season five continues this run. Now, season four is a masterpiece. So season five, you know, is is awesome. Um, I, I don't think they're ever going to match. Season four is such a crazy curveball that works. So they have to sort of stabilize season five. They have to kind of go, we're going to continue to grow and continue to change, but... um. We're not gonna try to outdo ourselves by being crazier than than season four. We 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 we've gone as full crazy as we can. Let's try to rein it in this a little bit and 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 show you where we're, we're gonna go. Maybe you know. So season five, I think, is um, in a way, it is the um, I I call this with the doors waiting for the sun. It's uh the next episode season in a way. It's just like we're gonna keep on going. That's not exactly fair. There's there's some a lot of new stuff here, especially because the fallout of season, episode or season four ends of such a fallout that uh, with um, the monarch and uh, henchman twenty one who's become two twenty twenty one. He's become like uh, his real name's Gary. Gary's become a very different character, but uh, after losing his friend in season three, so he quits the monarch's team at the end of season four, which is major, right? His character goes on a whole new journey. So season five continues the trend of like, we're going to change these characters a lot. But at the same time, it still kind of stabilizes things enough that I think it's sort of like a just on the next episode kind of season. Maybe that's not fair. I don't know. But great season. You have very venture Halloween special, which, um, you know, I love the Simpsons early Halloween episodes. They they feel very Halloweeny. They feel like they're still funny shows and they're still um, a good time. But there are creepy parts to them, and they just feel like they're up, they're of the season, you know. And this kind of gets that vibe. Um, there's this, actually this great speech that Doctor Orpheus, who's sort of a Doctor Strange uh, uh, knockoff character, he does this whole thing about Halloween, which I, I think the episode's written by Doc Hammer, who's a goth dude, who I think this is from his heart, and it really it, it's 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 great. It actually makes Halloween. Uh, I think this might be the way he views Halloween, and it's actually very beautiful. He says that Dr. Orpheus' character, written by Doc, Doc Hammer, says, um, Halloween is the one time of the year we choose what we want to be. We get to, we, if we, you know, we get to be our fantasy. We get to be our dream. It might be a better version of ourselves. It might be a dark side of ourselves. Whatever it is, we choose that. And so this is the time of year where we, where we get to choose. Um, we show who we really are by wearing a costume and that's you know that's that's very touching and kind of profound and so there that that's delivered in the show at the same time there's also um this pleasure toast wielding a hellraiser character and there's a bunch of funny gags and you also see um potter's field which is this 
huge uh, graveyard, this huge graveyard in, in the venture compound full of all the dead henchmen and OSI agents and dead clones of the boys that have been there. And that's the big thing. The real story element of this episode is that Dean figures out, like, um, for real, that he's a clone. That him and Hank are clones. That they are they, are, they are like Hank and Dean, Mach thirty five or sixty or something. Who knows? And so that's going to be Dean's whole journey this season, right? Season four, um, both the boys are doing different things, but it was a lot of a center on Hank trying to become like like his hero Brock Samson. This is a little more Dean heavy, where Dean's goes through the, the the goth Dean phase, which is a lot of people's favorite Dean phase. It might be mine. He dyes his hair. He gets a black a black speed suit, which is what they call the jumpsuits they wear. And he goes through his mopey phase because he finds out he's a clone and his life sucks. And I get it. Um, it suits him. He has a really shitty wispy mustache. Suits him as well. I I still have one at age forty. I, I I feel a kinship with him. Great season, right? We we go through. Um, so you know Brock's still out of the picture for the most part but he's he, he pops in once in a while there's a great episode called OSI I Love You which is very Brock heavy and it's basically uh, it goes back into the OSI characters and it shows like um, Hunter gathers and Brock are starting to run run OSI now and it, it just kind of clears up a lot of things and also opens up a lot of doors and the, the season I'm trying to, there's so many great parts what, what was really cool about this season for me is like I, I was waiting for this for a long time I think the wait is huge let's, let's see the wait here I think the years is more than two years now so now the wait was let's see yeah so season four comes in at uh, part one 2009 part two 2010 they do the special uh, they have two specials one's called the uh, Ladle to the Grave which is a music video basically which is cool it was 2011 and then 2012 is a Halloween special season 5 is 2013 so that's 4 years and technically 5 years from when season 4 started before the show comes back it's a long fucking time and actually me and my uh, wife Taylor when we were dating we actually went to New York Comic Con that uh, the year before this came out and we went to the, the, the Venture Brothers panel, and we listened to Doc Hammer and Jackson Public and everybody else talk about the show. It was it was hilarious. It was really fun. Um, and they showed like a couple clips, and I was so excited. And it, it, this season met my expectations. Um, I think some people thought it was a little, you know, season four was a masterpiece, so some people were a little let down by it. But I think part of that hinges on, this is going to be kind of controversial, but okay, season five ends technically with the devil's grip which is episode eight so you have this great episode before that called bot meets bot we have we meet uh, vendetta which is a sort of like robocop-esque um bad guy who's part of like the 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 higher arc of the the guild of calamus and he's one of the higher guys there right he's councilman number one anyways you have him and um ghost robot this other robot uh <laughs> the, it's just a long story it doesn't matter the point is vendetta you find out when he, he gets his ass beat by Brock Sampson, he has some sort of like RoboCop-esque like flashback, and it, it looks like he has something to do with the Monarch's parents who died in a plane crash. Like, maybe he's the Monarch's dad? It's not revealed. And then that episode ends with um, a giant disco ball falling on, on on Doc Venture. And this is in uh, Club Hell, which is <laughs> Don. <laughs> this is an awesome nightclub for villains. But anyways, when the ball drops on him at the end of the episode, me and Taylor... Who we were watching it together? We both thought maybe maybe they killed Doctor Venture. Like maybe he's actually dead. Like it's it was it was like this shows that kind of show where like maybe they just killed the main character off finally. Like he's not dead. Uh, the next episode shows that. But um, it, it, the the season ends with like you know it's a it's a cool sh- season with ends with like uh the monarch and Doctor Venture having like another one of their kind of um big confrontations but this one's kind of different this one is more like it, it, it feels like monarch's kind of losing his enthusiasm for this thing and you know it, that's an extra uh, layer of sadness that doc venture kind of realizes the only thing that made him maybe important is that this one guy hated him and maybe this guy doesn't even care anymore and so what does that make him you also have the boys finally have uh dean finally goes tells hank hey we're clones and Hank has this great thing. He goes, that's awesome. And Dean's like, what do you mean? It's not. He's like, yeah, well, I'm still me. You're still you. That's just another cool thing about our, our crazy lives. And that kind of raises Hank, our Dean's spirits. And that's, uh, it's, it's a really great moment between the two brothers, you know? 
so the the episode you know it it ends with um the big end of the season is really Gary um the former um henchman 21 who works for the monarch he comes back into the fold he he tried he dabbled in being a superhero himself and all this stuff and didn't really pan out he goes back to um the monarch and doctor girlfriend or, or she's now doctor mrs the monarch now that they've been married and it's sort of like an interesting word thing where it shows like a character it's kind of like real life a character does grow and does change but they decide for better or worse they they um they were happier the way things were before they they've taken what they learned from before and they're going to try what they did bef- um before that and hopefully it'll be different it won't be the and it won't be the same and it won't be and it, it turns out he's right he basically before he was just working for the monarch he was um you know he's just a flunky now he's now he's viewed as a partner and that's kind of their relationship from now on now they're gonna be more and more um on the same level at least closer so anyways that's the end of the season technically race the eight episodes and it's cool but most most of the seasons of adventure was end of like big finales right and so this is not this is not operation prom so a lot of people were let down the thing is that's not the real ending the show was the, the episodes that were supposed to end that that season are what make up the, the the special, which comes out, um, I think, two years later, 2015, which is called All This and Gargantua 2. This is like a huge, hour-long special, um, basically a little TV movie, and this is included in the DVD for the next season, season six, but I feel, it feels more like the end of season five, and, it, and if you add that to season five, it's a fucking amazing ending, and in fact, it's if it's not my second favorite episode, it's it's right up there. It's it's up there of Operation Prominent in its scope and its grandeur. And actually, in a way, it's um, it's not as good as Operation Promise. Nothing is, but it is better at being a spectacle because that's what it wants to be. Operation Promise a little more um, a little more about character beats, I guess. But uh, all this agree. All this in Gargantua 2 is this whole like space episode where everyone's gonna go to the space station. There's Brock's coming back and. What this does is this is the, the, a great transition. So season five ends with um, like they've already it's it's they basically they've already done like their Game of Thrones like we're gonna wipe the board clean and change things up a couple times. This one does it uh, somehow even bigger. So this one <laughs> this ends with uh, this amazing battle with uh, Killinger um, and the um, th- these weird vampire characters. It doesn't matter. The point is everyone's everyone's position changes. Right, the whole board changes. So the Sovereign, who is David Bowie, who runs the Guild of Calamus Content, he gets killed. Um, Doctor Girlfriend, 21, Monarch, um, Phantom Loom, all these people who've been, you know, most of these villains have been fighting each other or whatever. They all come together under Killinger, and he says that they're the new, they're the new uh, councilmen. This is the new, um, they're going to run the, the villains, right? Um Rusty Venture loses his, uh, who I've not mentioned yet, but um, he is a uh, twin brother, sort of, who um, who dies, and he um, when he when he dies, Rusty finally acknowledges like if he doesn't love him, he at least cared about him, and 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 it it's a good moment between them. But of course, it takes that guy's death for Rusty to finally figure out how he feels about his brother. But then you have um, OSI, <laughs> just so much going on. But basically, OSI is now under um, Hunter Gather's uh, command, and that means Brock is back under his command. Everybody in there is under under that thing. The biggest thing is, so this all happens, right? There's this, there's this everyone's kind of switching positions, right? The biggest one is that um, when Rusty's brother dies, he gives Doc Venture all his millions and his company. So Doc's entire... Um, I should also mention this: Doc's entire compound his uh, uh, has burnt down, and so Doc's kind of got nothing. But at the end of this episode, he has more money than he's ever had, and him and the boys are going to relocate to New York City. And Brock Sampson has been reinstated as their bodyguard now that they have all this money and they're more important. And the show, which is taking place, if it's not Arizona, it's somewhere in the Southwest. It's going to New York City, and. Brock, who our, our doc, who's always had almost no money and has you know been a been, been a terrible businessman, a terrible scientist, he's now been given an entire kingdom to ruin for the second time. What's great about this is um, this changes everything, right? Um, 
Doc, <laughs> so many docs in this fucking show. Doc Hammer and Jackson Public are New York City guys. This next season is them uh, reinventing their roots. This is them taking a show to New York City, taking a show to um, uh, the New York City of real life, of their life, I assume, but also the New York City of Spider-Man comic books and other comic books of Marvel stuff, which has been an influence on the show. This is them, um, in a weird way, this is their L.A. woman. This is them coming back to kind of like, <laughs> to, to, to what inspired them from the, from the first place. So, I find season six is one of my favorite seasons. I think season six and, and seven, season five is great, especially with the, the finale of all this are gargantua too. But season six, I, I, I just felt like, oh man, this show, it's it just in a weird way, it was just getting started. Like there's so many ideas. They still have so much going on, so much passion. So season six, and I'll say season six and season seven, um, they feel like of, of a piece big time because these are the New York seasons. And I think the the what was the pause between them? Okay, so season six comes out twenty sixteen, season seven is twenty eighteen, two years. So they they again have figured out how to get these shows out on a somewhat regular basis. These two seasons are them reinventing the roots, but also renewing the vows. Like this is them going, we fucking love making this show. And they've talked about actually back in season four of Operation Prom, they're thinking about you know this might be the end of the show. They wrote it as a finale, but writing a finale gave them a bunch of ideas and sort of like gave them a second wind going like, oh man, we have so much more we want to do. This feels like all that coming to fruition. This feels like, yeah, they're back in New York. Brock's back. Uh, Sergeant Hatred's still around, but his position has changed. But everything, even though Brock's back and um, since they're in New York City and Brock has changed and they have changed, the boys have changed and Doc himself has changed, it still feels fresh, feels different. Everything feels different. And of course... While this is all happening, I forgot to mention that um, Dr. Girlfriend becomes part of the council and all this stuff, and, 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 and she's one of the head villains now, but Monarch lost his entire uh, fortune. And so so reversal of, of Doc, his enemy, he Monarch's lost his money. He's lost his henchmen. He's lost everything. All he has is 21, and his, he inherited his dad's house, which is a new work. So he's he's slumming it, right? He's at his, his nadir. And... It's really fun. So they introduce all these New York characters. There's all these new um, fun superhero things. And um, the boys are continuing to grow up. And you're starting to see, like, the show's found a really good way to balance out. You have enough Doc episodes where Doc's character feels served. Brock's got enough stuff going on. He feels served. The boys do, too. Um, And all the side characters as well. This season... um, what it introduces, the biggest thing, I guess, is probably um, the Blue Morpho. The Blue Morpho, you find it, is this uh, Green Hornet-esque character who used to work for the old Dr. Uh, Jonas Venture, and he was um, sort of like the vigilante one who did like bad stuff that maybe Jonas wouldn't want to dirty his hands with. But he, um, you basically find that, that Monarch figures out, oh, my dad was the Blue Morpho. My dad was a superhero, and he hates that. Um, inheriting his house, he finds a... a, a underground cave a bat cave thing which is like the blue morphos headquarters but as people are watching the show remember um vendetta the robot guy that's the blue morpho too so his dad you find out slowly like oh so his dad was a superhero named blue morpho who worked with dr venture's uh father jonas venture and something happened and he became a cyborg and it you're basically on you're finally we're finally getting to like uh the at least most of the reveal of why, what is the connection between Dr. Venture and Monarch, which has kind of been, it's it's like a background mystery of the show. It's not like we've been dying to know, um, but now it's kind of coming back. And so with all that stuff, there's all, like I said, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of continuity in the show. They still find time to make tons of funny jokes and really great character beats. There's episodes like, um, uh, it happening one night where they have this whole fucking like uh, uh, Andy Warhol uh, factory uh, kind of thing, but they're all supervillains. So it's like um, it's like the Legion of Super uh, Supervillains thing. So like Lex Luthor is now Andy Warhol, and they're called the Doom Factory. It's it's brilliant. A Party for Tarzan is this really cool um, stylized episode where it's um, all these different voiceovers, and you have. Doc's all about meeting uh, Christopher Lambert from Highlander, and everybody else has got their own things. It's 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 insane, right? But it, it 
the show is eight eight episodes. It comes back lean, mean. It just feels like a refresh in a great way. And you you um you end with a, an episode which just isn't a huge like epic finale, right? Like we've kind of gotten used to, but um, it still feels really satisfying. And you see um a lot of the a lot of pieces being put into place, and um, the blue morpho thing is continues to be like a really tantalizing because now what's happening is that um, the monarch has found out that um, his dad was blue morpho and monarch can no longer arch Dr. Venture because he's only level four. Cause after he loses his, his cave, his cocoon and all this, all this stuff, he's not considered like good enough to be arch Dr. Venture. So he pretends to be, uh, he takes on his father's old costume. He pretends to be blue morpho. And he starts knocking off all the supervillains who are in his way to, so that he could be the guy left to arch Dr. Venture. Real, a lot of stuff going on, but actually, the real story is him and his marriage. His wife's becoming successful. He is not. She's ambitious. He has one ambition. It's 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 tunnel vision, and so that's kind of coming to a head. It all leads to season seven, right? Season seven, the last season we have, and there's season seven opens with a three parter, which is it's almost as good as Operation Prom or our Gargantua two. It feels as big in scope. This is the Morpho trilogy, right? This is. This is where um, we had the revelation of tons of stuff to do with uh, Jonas Venture and the, the original Blue Morpho, who is, we find out, you know, definitely Monarch's dad. And he became a cyborg after uh, uh, his death in a plane crash, which we don't know exactly what caused that, but who knows. And we find out how we've always had hints that Jonas Venture, Doc, Doc's dad, wasn't a good dad. Now we're getting hints that he was a bad fucking dude, like a bad person. He, he did some some wicked stuff and that all comes to a head but you also have the monarch somehow figures out he accidentally gets out of the trap he set himself up as the blue morpho um it, there's so much going on but the rest of the season there's there's enough for all the characters but the big stuff is really hank and dean not exactly growing apart but they're going in different directions and you're starting to see like which i think everyone expected is that this, the, the, these seasons we Doc gets all this money all this power and he, he squanders it like really quickly and he hasn't quite done that yet he's he's done okay he's done some bad business decisions but he hasn't lost all the money yet the season's been more about the two kids who are now in like their early 20s or at least 19 it's really them trying to the two boys trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do and it might not be as black and white as oh do I want to be a villain or a hero or it might just be more like do I want to be, like, what kind of job do I want? Do I, where do I want to live? Like, like who am I? Like, basically. And so, the show ends up with, with, you have the monarch in 21 sort of reconciling that they're not just a boss and employee. They're, they're partners. They're friends. You have, um, Brock's journey seems like it's, it's the most underserved in these seasons. He's kind of going through a thing, but I feel like it hasn't reached its resolution yet. And then Doc, Doc is still dealing with his daddy stuff, but he's also dealing with becoming a, a better dad. And he's, I think he's making some <laughs> moves forward there, but the, it's really about the boys. And the, it, it ends with like, um, it, it ends with the, the boys, uh, they don't have a huge falling out, but definitely Hank takes off and there's some, there's some, there's some bloodshed, uh, and, and it, it ends on a cliffhanger. And so the, the, the end of the show um, was the last the last episode, it feels like a cliffhanger in a way. It also could sort of serve as the end of the show if it has to. Luckily, I think it's not. There's going to be a movie but because there's a lot of questions now. But um, it, <laughs> the end of the show sort of, it, it just kind of... Um, this whole season and the last episode, especially, this made me feel like there's so much the show could keep doing. Like I know it takes these guys forever because they're doing it themselves. Basically, almost they voice almost all the characters. But I I could do another seven seven seasons if they had it in them. But I think they could definitely. I wish they would do at least one more season to kind of give most of the characters what I think they deserve. But we're we're gonna get a movie, so hopefully the movie does them justice. I don't know. All I know is that I've talked about 20 years of t- TV, mostly made by two guys, and the run is a perfect run. Um, I don't think there's anything else in TV like that. Um, 
and when I say perfect run, you know, obviously there's no nothing's. It's perfect run in that every every season is is a worthy um, entry in this creative run. But you know, there's there's definitely misses and there's faults and stuff like that. And the show has grown with its audience. You know, I think there's some some humor in the season one that's kind of lowbrow, cringy, edgelord shit, and they kind of get past a lot of that. And there's, of course, you know, there have never been a lot of great female characters on the show. There there are a few, but they're few and far between. They're, like, noteworthy because, oh, there's a woman on the show, and she has more than, like, three lines. And, of course, you know, most of the show is voiced by the two guys. And so that kind of limits... It's really cool in some ways because some of the delivery and the line readings, it's, it's all echoes off on one another, but sometimes it feels a little samey. So there, there are definitely nothing's perfect, but the, the run, the run is perfect. I mean, I, I feel like you, you could start season one, two, or three. All, all three of those are good entry points. Um, but I think you should watch the whole thing. But uh, it's it's incredible that this uh, I've never seen anything like that in TV before. You know, in any way, in the way the shows continue to grow. Um, it's it, it's I, I'm a pretty loyal like uh, audience member. If I like something, I usually keep on giving it a chance unless it really uh, sours me. I, 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 and this show, I never had to work to be a fan of it. I always felt still excited when something new came out. And I, I was always craving it. And I, I, I've always been like fascinated by it. And I think there's a, tons of heart. And there's tons of... Uh, great like observations about uh, family and friendship and and stuff like that but and there's also just dumb funny jokes and really cool characterization and jokes and all that stuff it's it's kind of the perfect package for somebody i feel like it's like it was invented for me which is you know what else could you ask for from a show but i i, I just you know i i can't wait for this movie to drop i would love for it to be like this a huge success uh, success, and then they go okay we'll do one more season but I kind of feel this is going to be it and I have to kind of be okay with that I guess I, I, I know they're going to stick to landing they've never let me down before and um, and if they don't it's all it's all forgiven you know seven seasons of of, uh, of a perfect run I mean what else can you ask for so um, go team venture <laughs>